This is the Banker's Corner, a McGuire Woods series exploring investment trends, solutions, and business issues relevant in today's private equity and finance industry. Tune in with McGuire Woods partner Jeff Cockrell as he and specialists share real-world insight to help enhance your knowledge. Thank you for joining another episode of the Corner Series. I'm your host, Jeff Cockrell from McGuire Woods. On the Corner Series, we bring together deal makers and thought leaders surrounding private equity investing in healthcare and healthcare-related businesses. And we talk about some of the drivers and uh, deal dynamics uh, of those sorts of transactions. I'm thrilled today to be joined by my good friend Larry Barr from Middle Brands Partners. Larry's one of the uh, best investment bankers I know, and uh, Larry's got a little different angle, uh, is often working on the buy side of those transactions as opposed to representing sellers uh, exclusively in sell-side transactions. But to get us started, uh, Larry, maybe uh, introduce yourself for a second in Middle Brands Park. Thank you, Jeff, for, for having me on the, uh, on the podcast. It's a, it's a pleasure to join you. Middle Branch Partners, we, we think of ourselves as a, a small boutique M&A advisory firm. We actually kind of steer clear of investment bank just because people think of money management services, and, and that's not, not what we provide. We've been in business now for just, uh, just about four years. It's myself and two partners, uh, one here in Chicago with me by the name of Chuck Weichel. And then uh, another point of differentiation for us is that our third partner is based in Sweden. Despite the fact that we're a small firm, we get involved in a lot of cross-border opportunities, whether that's European entities looking to, to do transactions here in the United States or U.S. entities looking to do transactions in Europe. And I specifically say Europe because that's really, U.S. and Europe is where we, we spend our time. We don't really do much in, uh, in Asia. As Jeff said, we, we do do both buy side and sell side. Our buy side work is predominantly focused on uh, supporting private equity firms, sometimes in, in their efforts to secure a platform in the healthcare sector, other times, uh, and more frequently, we're supporting one of their uh, portfolio companies in an effort to, to do add-on acquisitions. We also do sell-side work. Our sell-side work is really quite the opposite. We're predominantly working with traditional lower end of the middle market companies, sort of say five to 50 million in revenues. And, and these are generally closely held, privately held businesses, whether it's the the founder of the company or a descendant of the founder of the company. We'd love for our buy side clients to hire us to do the sell side after after we've helped them grow, but they tend to move to some of the other you know larger firms in the in the space. So, Larry, often a private equity fund or kind of sometimes within a platform, they'll have a business development function, and part of that function is out there kind of trying to chase down new add-on uh, opportunities. How would you articulate Middle Branch's uh, value proposition against a platform or private equity firm that would want to do that all in-house? Sure. Our our value proposition is is we've been extremely focused on the med tech manufacturing sector in particular. We really kind of cut our teeth in that sector about 15 years ago or so, uh, really focused on, on orthopedic contract manufacturing. And then as we've did a number of transactions in that sector, and that led to the interventional sectors, whether it's uh, cardio or other surgical procedures. So that sort of went from, from metals to plastics, 
And so I think our, you know, the fact that we've been so focused on that sector for the last 15 years, we've really been able to, to develop a wide network of people that we know in the industry. And even though we consider it to be a wide network, it's a very deep network as well. So, you know, whereas the business development guy for a, for a private equity firm, he's kind of that mile wide inch deep. I'd say we're probably more a quarter of a mile wide, but a mile deep with, uh, with our relationships. A perfect example would be a, a transaction that we, we recently closed. We were engaged by a company called Acrotech, which is, uh, they're based in Switzerland. They're about uh, 450 to 500 million in, in revenues and they're a portfolio company of the Carlisle Group. Very acquisitive, they've done, you know, 25, 26 deals, all really in, in Europe, predominantly in sort of Switzerland and, and France, and really wanted to get some roots down here in, in North America. So it was a great story just because of, again, being so focused on the sector, a relationship that I had made an introduction to a gentleman who's on the board of Acrotech, who then put me directly in contact with Acrotech, and probably within two months of introduction, we were engaged to find prospects and targets here in North America. The company that we ended up acquiring, which uh, the deal closed just before Christmas time, was a company I've known for 10 plus years and had developed a, a great relationship with, with the business owner. So when I approached him with you know someone that I thought would be a good fit for his business, you know, there, there was a lot of trust already built up that I was bringing him something real that would be, you know, would be a value to him. So literally we were engaged by the client in the middle of June and uh, under LOI by the uh, end of September, and we're able to close the transaction uh, again, just before Christmas. It actually cash closed at the, at the end of January, but the signing was in, in 2022. I'd like to say that uh, all transactions run, uh, that quickly and and that smoothly, but you know, unfortunately, they don't. But I I, I don't think a, a private equity BD guy out of Carlisle would have you know would have that kind of relationship that that I had with the business owner to be able to move things along that that quickly. One way to think about kind of uh, buy side representation is kind of segmenting the market that you're looking at. And tell me if this is constructive that. Uh, at one level, there might be kind of smaller targets that are not in a process that are hard to find, where I would think that your kind of presence in kind of specific markets could help. There could be larger uh, targets that are pre-processed, uh, so kind of fishing upstream a bit, or also positioning within a sale process. Do you kind of work in all three of those or just mostly the first two? How do you think about that? No, I think that's a, a great way to look at it. And I think, you know, first off, the the way we start a process is we really want to work with our client to to develop a really firm hypothesis about the project, because then we can take that hypothesis and search through our, our own database, which has, oh, I don't know, I think about 16,000 names in it by now, and then and also resource other external databases that are available to really pull together a very highly targeted list. And again, we often on that list, we, we know many of the, 
the businesses and and the business owners and have probably you know we haven't been to all their businesses but we've we've visited a lot of them so that's that's sort of the the start and we really try to really filter the list from you know from a value perspective who's who's most valued by the client you know that they would like to do a transaction with and and also we try to filter for okay who can we get into more readily to engage in a in a conversation the smaller companies that are sort of under under the radar and pre-processed those are often easier to 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 get into our focus is to try to avoid a target company deciding to go into a process in general our client is going to be on their on their target list so they you know they don't need us for for that sort of activity our value is is resourcing you know those companies on on the target list and you know what we do to support our activities is we've recruited a, a, a really active um, advisory board, and these are individuals that have held senior positions at medical device companies during their careers, and for the most part are now retired. And so they bring knowledge from just an operations perspective, as well as the ability to reach out to folks that we may not have have relationships with. A couple of examples are Gary Henley, who was president and CEO of Wright Medical, which was a, a large independent OEM. It's now part of Stryker. He's on our advisory board. A gentleman named Tim Kelleher, who ran the uh, the OEM division of Teleflex, which was Teleflex's internal sort of contract manufacturing company. It was about a 250 million revenue size business inside you know, the two plus billion uh, cardiovascular company, Teleflex. Larry, when you're working with a platform, is your work with that platform kind of attached to them over an extended period of time where you're doing uh, an acquisition program for them? Or is it tend to be a little bit more episodic? Um, that's why we like buy side work, Jeff, because it tends to, you know, keep going. So Acrotech, for example, or, you know, we've closed that transaction. We've got flying out today to to go uh, meet a, another target on their behalf. We had closed a transaction earlier this earlier in 2022 for another client, a small publicly traded company called UFP Technologies. And that acquisition was actually a, uh, a company based in Galway, Ireland, that also had had operations in, in Costa Rica. And, you know, we continue to, to work for work for UFP. It's kind of one of the reasons we like we like the buy side. We love sell side, but sell side once you're done, you're done. I, I'm an M and A lawyer, and I like uh, buy side for the same reason. <laughs> Maybe pivoting a, a a tiny bit, given your kind of deep presence in med tra- med tech manufacturing. Uh, maybe talk about that sector a little bit. What are some of the drivers that are uh, uh, kind of bringing private equity investment more heavily into that? We're definitely seeing. It. I have some thoughts, but I'd love to hear yours. Sure. I think, you know, one of the things that's always made that sector very attractive to private equity is, number one, you know, the, the large OEMs in the space, whether they're orthopedic or, or cardiovascular, have been have really been pushing out manufacturing to uh, to suppliers and allowing them to focus on what they do best, which is developing products and marketing and, and taking those products to market and selling them. They often will continue to do their own manufacturing, but the more complex products are often pushed out 
to contract manufacturers. So there's the contract manufacturing has, has really grown faster than the OEM because of this downstreaming of the, of the manufacturing. The other thing that makes it attractive to private equity is it allows them to participate in, in a, a very large sector of the economy, healthcare, without taking direct reimbursement risk on the device and, and regulatory risk on the device. I mean, that, that being said, manufacturers are, for the most part, are, are FDA uh, regulated and, you know, usually have, have at least a, an ISO 13485 registration. But it's still, you don't have that same direct risk of product failure. I would add to that that there are a lot of uh, kind of pure healthcare investors that some increasing anxiety about the degree to which they've uh, invested in provider services. Most of them are still pretty bullish on the sector, but they've made a lot of investments in into provider services. And so expanding out into other kind of segments of healthcare investing, whether that is different sorts of healthcare services, uh, uh, pharma services, pharmacy services, or med tech manufacturing uh, or other uh, healthcare IT. There's a lot of press to, like you said, move either trying to avoid some of the direct reimbursement risk or, or just raw diversification away from is heavily investing in uh, provider services. So we're definitely seeing a lot of uh, activity. And then, as you noted, the lack of direct reimbursement, which you need to kind of really know what you're doing if you're going to be investing in that. It can be a little daunting, but folks that are wanting healthcare exposure without that, there's a lot of interest in some of these related healthcare types of fields. Yeah, I agree. And and there's also, you know, it, it it's interesting. There's you know, there's been a significant amount of consolidation in the manufacturing sector, but it's amazing just how how fragmented it still remains and there are lots of opportunities in particular to to do a buy and build strategy around certain sectors especially if if someone's willing to maybe go a start a little smaller than they than they typically would from a from a platform perspective there's also some scalability that some of the provider sectors can present challenges uh, if you have a a billion and a half value uh, med tech manufacturing company, you can kind of see pathways to continue to grow and scale. When if you have a, a billion and a half dental platform, that can be you have to think a little bit more clearly about what the kind of the, the back end scenarios are, uh, who are the buyers. Uh, uh, there's some readily available scalability in med tech manufacturing as well, which is pretty attractive. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, it's interesting that I, you know, I, I don't know that much about the, the transaction, but I, I noted, I saw just earlier this morning that uh, 3i, which uh, has a holding called Q Holdings, sold off a uh, part of their manufacturing to uh, a company called Surtech, which has really sort of become a leader in active implantables uh, manufacturing. And so there's, I think you're seeing now opportunities to sort of, you know, where some of these companies have been built up and have a lot of different capabilities. They're maybe looking at okay, where do I do? A, where do I really want to focus my firm in divesting parts that maybe you know while they're while they're strong don't make sense in terms of the the direction the company wants to wants to head. As I've been having these conversations, while we kind of collectively are heading into some more uncertain waters from 
kind of macroeconomic dynamics or uh, credit availability. Whenever I'm speaking with uh, someone that's an active participant in the market, I always want to get their perspective on uh, kind of nearer term and longer term uh, prospects in the M&A world. Given that you have a pretty uh, zeroed in focus in a, in a particular sector, um, how bullish or bearish are you for the next three months, uh, nine months, 12 months uh, looking forward? I'm one of those uh, that's uh, sort of a, a perennial bull, Jeff. As I like to say, I, I couldn't do what I do for a living if I wasn't an optimist. And I think, you know, having this 3i transaction, which was a just shy of, a, of about a $200 million deal getting done in, in today's environment, I think speaks to the fact that certainly good transactions are out there and people are going to find a way to, to get them closed. I've counseled you know, this is on the sell side, but I've counseled some of my sell side clients right now that it's a little quieter out there. And now might be a good time to to at least dip your toe in the water to see how the market, you know, responds from a, from a valuation perspective and then and make a judgment from there. And because you'll be able to do it with a little less noise um, and other other transactions that people may get distracted by. So you're overall positive uh, looking forward. That that that's encouraging. I'm an M&A lawyer, so I naturally see the world in terms of risk, which makes me naturally bearish. So uh, we can uh, temper each other out a little bit and uh, get a, a clear-eyed uh, view of the future. Yeah, I, I think you know. I think what you're going to maybe see is is deals getting done with a little more structure. You know, we're in the past people were putting you know up to five times of leverage onto a deal. Maybe now it's, you know, four, four and a half. But I, as I said, I think, you know, there's lots of good opportunities out there. And and from the private equity perspective, they've got money that they want to deploy. You know, there are debt funds out there that also want to deploy their their capital into, into transactions. So I think people will find a way. And we have to get used to the fact that we're we're now operating in a sort of a normalized interest rate environment, which is obviously different than what we've been in for the last, you know, what, 10, 15 years. Goldilocks would fun, but uh, the more regular cost of capital has implications on pricing. And I think the the seller universe will rationalize a little bit and, and kind of adjust some pricing expectations over time, but that'll probably take a little bit. I think that will take a little bit. You know, we've seen obviously, you know, on multiples expanding over the last uh, couple of years. And, you know, some deals have gotten done at some pretty extraordinary multiples. And I've often talked to sellers and, and they say, well, you know, if my EBITDA will be two million higher. So if the EBITDA, you know, if the, the multiple is one turn less, I'm still making a lot of money. And I've always said to them that I, I want to hear you say that when someone actually comes to you a, a year later and says, well, well, now we'll only pay you 10 when a year ago we would have paid you 11 for, for your business that's now even even stronger than it right. was. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you're, you're right. Sellers, will, it'll take, it might take a little time for them to adjust their, uh, their, ex, their expectations. Well, uh, Larry, I try to keep these uh, podcasts to about 20 minutes, so uh, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, it's great to hear your perspectives and uh, uh, your kind of positioning in the market. Uh, thanks for spending a few minutes with me. Oh, thank you for having me and uh, look forward to future opportunities. And I'll see everyone on the next episode. 
Thank you for joining us on this installment of The Banker's Corner. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.